Greetings, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. Today, I have a very special treat for everyone. Horrible tidings, horrible, harmful, perhaps very frightening tidings with a very special guest. That's your special treat on this Monday. Today with me, I have Kyle Serafin, who is someone you've probably heard about in the news. If you watch any news at all, he was on Tucker Carlson and was making the rounds through all the major news sources who aren't completely compromised last week. His name is Kyle Serafin. He's a now indefinitely suspended FBI special agent and a U.S. Air Force veteran. He's a graduate of the University of Oklahoma, and Serafin has managed restaurants, sold computer technology. He sold radio airtime to commercial clients. He's performed financial analysis for a major movie studio. And you'll, you'll get the idea when he begins to speak. I'll let him begin to speak right now. He is not your typical Fed boy, this guy has got a personality. Kyle, thanks for joining me today to talk about Catholics being harassed. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Yeah, I, I, not a typical Fed boy. It's probably accurate. Uh, I'm probably somebody told me I am now per, per, uh, persona extremely non gratis uh, in the FBI, which is probably accurate too. That was on uh, Coffee and COVID, that uh, sort of daily blog that comes out. But not any uh, any persona in the FBI is non gratis, right? If you have a personality, you know what? there no. there are some characters in the bureau and. Um, it you know it's not the it's not the thin line of of uh, you know sort of sunglasses uh, you know I'm Agent Johnson Special Agent Johnson no relation in fact I actually pulled onto an army base uh, with my with my last partner who's Green Beret we actually went out there to go see the Afghan um, refugee camps out in uh, Fort Bliss and we drove up and he looks over at me and he's a character too uh, you, you don't get to be a Special Forces guy who's gone on multiple deployments in combat and come back with no sense of humor. So, and he's a Mormon, which is even funnier. So he's very straight laced about a lot of things, but he looks over at me and he goes, do you want to do the Johnson and Johnson routine? And I was like, for sure. So we drive up and we flash creds at this poor, you know, like E3, this private uh, in the army who's running the gate. And he goes, I'm agent Johnson, special agent Johnson. And we both go no relation at the same time. And the guy had no sense because he was a kid and he's just like, just, Drive on, dudes who are bothering me. <laughs> he didn't even know that that was a joke. You know, like it's a diehard reference. Yeah, of course, yeah, like yeah. nothing. It's yeah. too. It's be. It's be, he probably wasn't even born. So uh, <laughs> we just we drove past and we we're like, well, that failed. That's a, that's a bummer. There are some personalities, but it's not uh, not nearly as common. We were just talking a little bit beforehand, which is always it's it's good because it gives you some ammo, some comedic ammo if your guest has a personality. And it also can be bad because some of your best stuff gets wasted. Johnny Carson used to talk about this all the time. But we were talking ahead of time, like your fit at the FBI was sort of like my fit in a lot of trad communities. You're, we're glad that, that the group has you, that the community has you, because after all, you've just become a whistleblower. And I want to talk to you all about what that entails. But of course, it, it's, a, it's a funny fit at times. It's a not like a glove fit at times. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're a lot like me in the trad community. I think you, you, you make diehard references. So do I, a lot of folks <laughs> don't appreciate that. And they need, yeah, it. don't, don't let the tie and the sweater fool you. I was just on a Newsmax panel with Alan Dershowitz. And I thought, what would a guy like me wear sitting next to Alan Dershowitz? I would wear the sweater, um, which my mother gave me. So that's, that was my choice, but generally speaking, I'm a black t-shirt kind of guy and, and a V-neck and nothing else on it. Uh, in fact, uh, the first public media hit I did was with Dan Bongino. It was on his uh, podcast. We did a two hour special where um, I called him up and said, you know, I'm willing to come forward, but uh, kind of got to know what kind of guy you are. And so we had this long conversation. They flew me out to Miami. I said, I want to go eyeball to eyeball. And when we showed up, I was wearing blue jeans, brown boots, and a black V-neck t-shirt. And he was wearing the exact same thing, except his shoes were, were dress shoes instead of boots. 
And he goes, we're dressed the same. And I said, yeah. And he goes, I'm going to put on a blazer. I said, don't you dare. <laughs> and he put on a blazer anyway. And we did the thing. So we didn't look like brothers, but we look like twins other than Dan is like, you know, probably four inches taller than me and probably has 15 or 20 pounds. But um, I'm a regular guy. I'm, I'm a, you know, I don't like to wear a suit. I don't like to wear a tie. And I do like to have a joke. And I like to joke about being a fed. I think there's nothing funnier about that. My last, uh, my last supervisor didn't know what to do with me. I told him I wanted to investigate aliens. And when I left the office, I'm not sure he understood whether I was joking. And to be clear, I wasn't sure if I was joking either when it was all said and done. I'm still not sure if that's a joke. I, I <laughs> Yeah, I well, I just got off the phone with a buddy of mine who's up in uh, in northern Montana. He works in the Indian reservation up there. There's a, uh, a reservation called the Blackfoot Reservation. Some people know it. Um, mm-hmm. It's near Browning, Montana. And so he's assigned to work out in that area. And I said, hey, man, how's the skies look? And he goes, it's a little bit overcast for me to see what's going on over Haver. But uh, we're still on high alien awareness up here. And, uh, and he's a, he's a madman as well. Like he's a former Marine and, you know, was a smoke jumper. So a complete savage of a human being, you know, one of the, uh, the forest service sort of special operations firefighters. So when you, when you, you find your tribe, I think anywhere you go, whether it's in the Catholic church, you find people that are extreme as you, or as vanilla as you. And when you're working for the fed, you kind of find people that are willing to push the envelope or not. Um, you know, my tribe is kind of a bunch of madmen. He actually told me that, uh, his wife refers to all of his friends as the extremers. Uh, like the Avengers, but the extremers, everything we do is hard, like all the way, which is why I was telling you, uh, you know, I don't eat and I don't sleep. I just hang out in this RV and do podcasts and media hits because I think this is the crusade that I'm being called to do. So it's, it's, it's not that much fun, uh, but at least I'm not getting fat because like I'm not eating. So otherwise I think I'd be in bad shape. Yeah. yeah high, high alien awareness is something that I wish some of these bastards were on, on our Southern border. Right. And, and that's, I guess a topic for another time along with the, well, that was, that was where I was assigned to work. You're totally right though. I mean, so, you know, we can talk about that in the, in the context of whistleblowing, but like literally I was assigned to the FBI's little office in Las Cruces, which is responsible for, I I don't know the math exactly, but it's over a hundred miles of Mexican border. It might be 200. So yeah, Southern alien awareness would be pretty helpful. And it's a good segue into this piece that uh, actually, I don't know if you saw this on your on your Twitter thing, but one of your one of your followers, Gen X millennial or something like this, wrote back and said, it didn't even mention the traditional Latin mass. It's like, hey, bro, like, I don't know if you re-. he said, I didn't read the document, but it didn't mention it. It's like, uh, yeah, it did. Here's, here's uh, it, it was supp- OK, so let, let me let me set the table here. Yes, yeah. it did. And I was shocked and a little bit horrified. How, how what's the polite way of saying this? Oh, am I on an FBI watch list? That's what I was going to say, but let's do it. Well, you weren't, little... but now you are. So yeah. 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 Good. <laughs> um, you've got some FBI watchers though. You said, uh, yeah, some agents actually told me that they, uh, they heard that I was coming on the show. They were excited about that. They're regular listeners. So just a little, just a little terrifying, but I was surprised Kyle that I'm looking for the note here that the FBI is aware of technical, 1988 Ecclesia Day distinctions. That's the distinction between uh, FSSFP. You know, all of my fans will know this, the, the Fraternal Society, which is like the licit SSPX, which is in some way or another illicit, more or less illicit. And then there's SSPX Ultra, which right. believe it or not, is, is not a comic book distinction. It's a real distinction. It's even more illicit than SSPX. They, the FBI on this, out of this memo, which it wasn't a memo, it was more than a memo, but yeah, out of this note that's alarming because it yep. says that the FBI is going to harass Catholics. They even know what SSPV is, the, the borderline settings. What is going on and why does the FBI want to monitor trad Catholics? All right. So 
some of this is going to be a little bit of extrapolation. I, you know, and, and I'll take this. This is this is my bona fides in that arena. I worked counterintelligence for two years. I'm familiar with intelligence products. I am by no means an expert on you know these things, but I did sit around analysts all the time, and I know people who are senior analysts, and I ping my ideas off them. They don't disagree. So that's that's the caveat. Um, the product we're talking about, and, and I'm using the word product, it, it, that is a, a, a intelligence community speak for this so-called memo. It's not a memo. It's a it's an intelligence product. There are finished and there are unfinished intelligence products. This finished is a memo that, plus, memo plus, right? Well, so. it's it's what it is. It's, it's a it's a push that is a um, it's like a term paper. It's like a white paper in a lot of ways. Okay, so it's something that is a uh, it's it's got analysis that is finished and it's considered to be reviewed. And it's peer reviewed by people inside the bureau in their little work group. Then a senior intelligence analyst has to sign off. That's your, your supervisor. And then it goes up to the, the chief division counsel of that particular field office, which is the, the top lawyer who's supposed to be calling balls and strikes, what you can and can't do. And the um, a finished intelligence product, in this case, it's called a domain perspective or a domain awareness product. It goes out to everybody in the in the area. But this was actually leaked to me by somebody in a totally different field office. So this went national. It just is not something that people who are in the intelligence world would be concerned about because they don't care about going after, you know, what they're going to call rad trad Catholics. That's not a problem for them. The real problem is, is the sourcing is out of policy, which is that they use the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is garbage and uh, is probably a hate group in and of itself. Um, and then it, yeah. it went after They used the, the Atlantic and, and talked about like, you know, combat rosary breeds, like give me a break. And then you look at the last little piece there and they use the uh, salon.com. So these are all lefty sources. There's no balance on it. And then the writer is writing from an ideological perspective, talking about abortion rights. Well, I, I think that when you're the government, you don't get involved in whether or not a right exists, particularly one as contentious as abortion. You just know that there is an action called abortion, and then there are certain laws, whether they are federal or otherwise. And in this case, the federal government has no purview over abortion. That's what your job is. This person is weighing in, and we know that they're weighing in, and they're using what they're going to consider like a fringe group of Catholicism to open the door. This is my opinion. This is my analysis. They're opening the door to come in and look at Catholics in general which has 70 million adherents from the very vanilla, you know, creaster types that we all know that show up on Christmas and Easter. And maybe they got baptized and confirmed in high school and then they never went to mass again. And then God people who are, who are, are, are very aggressive traditional adherents who are listening to the Latin mass and, and don't agree with the changes at Vatican II. So, um, and I'm somewhere in between there, right? Like I, I attend church on Sundays with my wife. Like I, by no means find, uh, I don't go looking for a Latin mass, but I love it if I could find it. I learned Latin when I was a kid. My Latin is very weak at this point. And it was all uh, classical Latin. It wasn't church Latin. So, you know, I had uh, Jesuits for high school and I had Cistercians when I was in middle school. So that's, that's the whole spectrum of, of wildly uh, orthodox and, and uh, sort of austere and then sort of the, uh, the libs that live in the, in the, the Jesuit order. Um, experiences. We call, we call them Jesuits. <laughs> that's a good one. It's true. Uh, and some of the most interesting priests I've ever known were, were Jesuits because they had a very interesting world perspective. And some of the most austere and, and devout people I've ever met were Cistercians. And, and anyway, like... I've, I've seen all of it and, and I wouldn't say that I can fall into the category of it, but what they're looking at, and, and this is my, my belief, the Radic the Richmond field office is looking, saying, where is a fringe group that we can get our fingers under the seam of Christianity? I'm not talking about Catholicism, the wider picture, because Christians are a problem and they are moving for abortion as a, as a right. That's what this, this writer is essentially trying to get access to. And when you can start recruiting sources, you do the same thing that the, uh, the FBI did in the Muslim community after nine 11. And, and they had a 9-11, they just called it January 6th, and they believe that it came from white supremacists, Christian, unvaccinated, people who have these problems that are obviously a threat to uh, you know our government. 
Um, I'll add one last little bit and I'll, I'll throw it back to you. But the thing that uh, that I've been predicting for the last probably eight eight or so months and publicly for the last few months is that the, the FBI is going to be looking for what they're calling anti-government slash anti-authority violent extremists. The abbreviation is agave with two A's in the middle. And they just put it out. I just found out from an Intel analyst that this is a required banded threat, which is to say that it has to exist in every field office. It's a required banded threat um, across the United States for this fiscal year. They have to say that there is some level of anti-government, anti-authority violent extremists. And if you're a Catholic who doesn't like abortion and you don't want gay rights shoved down your throat, it turns out that you're probably one of them. So welcome to the list, everybody. Um, all your listeners and uh, and a number of of people in the FBI also are not comfortable with this, like other FBI agents who who do go to the Latin Mass, who do actually belong to some of these societies that uh, that hold these views. You know, they're they're betrayed by uh, their own agency at this point, and that's why they reached out to me. Two important questions. The first one is the distinction that I've heard you made make quite a bit over the last week. The very substantial distinction, Kyle, between you said it's it's not just a memo, it's an Intel product, but but that corresponds with another distinction. Uh, a criminal case versus an Intel case. Can you yep. unpack for, for the parish orphans and retrogrades out there, my listeners, why it's so dangerously important, so negatively important that all of this goodness is going to be packed into Intel cases rather than criminal cases? None of us are criminals, right? But it's going to be an intel case. That's the first question. And then the second question, take them in any order, is has the FBI recanted this intel product or not? Did either order take those two. Okay, let, let's do number two uh, first because it's easy. So yes, the FBI has recanted this product, but not because they feel shame, not because they've said, listen, this analyst has been put on a retraining program and is going to be now educated on the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and what the FBI can and cannot do. That didn't happen. But what they did is they got their hand caught in a cookie jar and they retracted it because it's really embarrassing. And there's a lot of Catholics in this country. And targeting fringe Catholics is actually an open doorway to, to, to go after all Catholics. The, uh, the whistleblower that actually gave me this document shared it because uh, he or she is actually uh, an evangelical. But that was a major problem that this doorway was opening to Christians in general. So that's part one. So yes, it's been recanted, um, but not because I think from some good ideological purpose or some high-minded idea. I don't think so. I think it was just embarrassment. Um, from a policy perspective, does that commit them to any kind of formal reversal or, or no, it could no. just be edicto? No. No, this was the first thing that was put out. It, it actually, the, the the writer of this product actually brags, this is a first of its kind. You know, I've done the research. It's like, yeah, you you did because it's outside of bounds of what the FBI does. That's why it's the first of its kind. But you break that pane of glass and you can walk through that open window. So that's a real danger. Um, let's talk about the difference between Intel and criminal. I think it's really important. People get their heads okay. around it. Yeah. Um, so the FBI agent, uh, the FBI as an agency historically has always been viewed as a law enforcement entity that had some component of intelligence to it. And what that means is, is that the primary focus was always going after bad guys who broke federal law. And then you have to have a certain amount of awareness of what may be broken so that you can try to mitigate some of those things. I'm not a big fan of pre-crime. I actually despise it. I think that intelligence units inside of law enforcement are dangerous and scary. I think they should be separated. So, um, let's look at it like people can imagine this. A criminal case is a linear process. A crime happens. The allegation or information of federal crime is what brings us into the view of going after um, any sort of investigation. So we open it up based on the allegation or information. We try to find out the subject, whoever did it. That's the whodunit part. Then we build evidence. 
We do that through subpoenas. We do that through interviews. We do that through open records checks and so on. Um, we can do it through physical surveillance, which was a specialty of mine for a bit. And then we go to a grand jury or we, if it's really ur urgent, if there's an exigent circumstances, we will write a criminal complaint and we go arrest the person that did the crime. Okay. Once that happens, they have two options. They can plea uh, and, and, and take some sort of a uh, lighter and that, like 90 plus, maybe 98% of people do that because the cases are usually pretty good. That's why we took them. And then the other option is they can go to court and that only has two outcomes, acquittal, right? Not guilty or guilty. And that's the end of it for the Bureau. We're done. And then there's a punishment phase that doesn't really have a whole lot to do with us. The um, I actually talked to a, a former prosecutor the other day, and I love the way he said this. The federal government has no interest in the outcome of criminal prosecution. Their only interest should be in a pure process. Uh, that's not the case anymore, as people probably know. But So that's linear. That's criminal. Very straightforward. It is not considered to be the highest priority of the FBI anymore. When we talk about intelligence cases, we're talking about a circle. It starts somewhere. And then it never ends. It continues to go around, just like the thing that the graphic over your left shoulder. And when we talk about something that goes around in a circle, the fun thing about circles are is they can have tangential spinoffs that turn into more circles. So this is a circle that begets more circles. An intelligence investigation has to be started on the on a threat. And a threat is very ambiguous because it's not a crime. It doesn't ever have to even amount to a crime. And the most abhorrent version of this that I saw, and I think people can can recognize how dangerous this is, we had an Islamic um, attendee of a mosque in Virginia, in Woodbridge, Virginia. This is all public at this point, so I can talk about it a little bit. They had a intelligence investigation on this individual for 23 years. Whoa. And when they finally did the takedown, and this was a counterterrorism. So uh, intelligence uh, investigations have basically two flavors, counterintelligence, which is, you know, contact with foreign entity, foreign power, and counterterrorism, which used to be a foreign entity known as a, uh, a, um, a State Department designated terrorist organization, but it also now includes things like white supremacy and other vague things like militia violent extremists or racially motivated violent extremists or you know anti-government, anti-authority violent extremists, all these other sort of domestic nonsense. This guy was watched for 23 years under the counterterrorism banner and then was eventually arrested for a child pornography violation. Now, I want child pornographers arrested just like everybody else does. But what I don't want is our federal government looking at you for two plus decades, trying to find what your crime is and then finding it. That is not an acceptable way. That's not an infringement we can accept as Americans. And we shouldn't accept that as, as you know, people who are free citizens that have free will and are supposed to be answerable to God. We're not answerable to an omnipotent government. That's not the way that it's designed. And the government's job is not to sit there and make sure that your liberties stay within their, their boundaries. Their job is actually to defend your liberties Right. And um, and make sure that you don't infringe on anybody else's. So it's really scary when you're looking at something like that, uh, a 23 plus year investigation. And some of these are not nearly as bad. They're only five to eight years. But imagine somebody getting all of your toll records, all your text message back and forth, all of your bank records, everything you spent money on, your travel records from your Google account and just watching you for a problem because you may or may not have made a phone call. You know, there was one that we saw where somebody made a phone call to the consulate in New York or not, not even that uh, the Russian consulate. Uh, some member of the Russian consulate in New York for a two minute phone call that we don't know what the contents was and never again. That spawned a two plus year investigation, maybe ongoing at this point, could be up to four years at this point. And, and the allegation was that person made contact with someone that was a, uh, you know, PNG. 
uh that's not okay we can't be doing that you can't be just looking into someone because they were trying to order a pizza uh and they were you know visiting their family member and they got one digit wrong and they didn't even realize that they were on hold and it was actually the consulate for uh for the russian you know some russian contact that's not an acceptable thing for our federal government to do so that's where people can get really really scary and that's where these things this intelligence product could be used to supplement what we call the predication that's the opening paragraph of your investigation they can use it to say you know you know, Tim is uh, an adherent as a radical uh, Catholic and as noted in this domain perspective dated on January 23rd of 2023 out of the Richmond field office. You know, some of these people are much more likely to be ide ideologically aligned with white supremacists. And, and here's some other thing. He has a friend that we don't like, and, you know, he may or may not be a white supremacist. So we're going to open this case to mitigate threats. And that's where they would have access to all the national security tools. And those are very, very powerful tools. Some people would call them the Patriot Act tools. You know, they're not all Patriot Act. That's a very specific number of of um, uh, legal authorities that you can access. But collectively, that's how it's kind of colloquially known. And these are all spying apparatuses. That's what they are. Like, that's what intelligence is. It's spying. So in uh, so here, here's when we get into the fine distinctions you just talked about. A white supremacist, this is a an intentionally badly defined term. Is this someone who says white lives matter? Is this somebody that says there should be a white history month since since there's all, all the other months, all the, the rest of the colors of the bow? Mm -hmm. Are they're not constrained? They, the the makers of uh you know, intel cases instead of crim cases, they're not constrained to any definitions besides their own. And the abiding cultural woke set of definitions out of the woke lexicon is if you say you know oh, white lives matter there should be a white history month then you're a white supremacist and they're not constrained to any of the 14th amendment equal protection clause uh distinctions that require you know low middle high scrutiny right is is this yep correct or am i is am i no you're right it's 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 deliberately vague number one and moreover um being a white supremacist is actually a constitutionally protected ideology in this country you're allowed to be an a-hole like it turns out that you're allowed to be a nazi as well you can have all kinds of awful ideas and people have had them historically in this country since it's been founded um the government doesn't have an interest in this. Like I said, the, this this former prosecutor, his name is Bill Shipley. People will know him from doing some defense of January 6th defendants. And he's a retired prosecutor, 30 plus years. His, uh, he's got a lot of experience with the FBI. But his statement is, is the government's job is balls and strikes. It's whether or not it does or does not meet the definition of an actual federal crime. And then only the process matters, not the outcome. The FBI, when they when they got into the domestic intelligence mission, and this is a post 9-11 phenomenon, you ended up with an agency that is now interested in the outcomes because the definition of national security has fundamentally changed. And I think this is worth knowing. Um, people can go and listen to my little podcast. I did a long form interview with a guy named George Hill. And George was former NSA. He had 27 years in military intelligence. He worked for both the Marine Corps and the United States Navy. And then he retired with like 11 plus years from the FBI as a supervisory intelligence analysts. Now the IAs, the Intel analysts, they're kind of the, the problem in a lot of ways, but George is definitely one of the good guys. He's like a rigid constitutionalist, um, like so many Marines you would imagine are. And the thing about George is, is that he told me something I'd never heard before. So I want to give credit where it's due. He said before 9-11, there was a very simple definition of national security in this country and everybody knew it. Everybody who was in the pre 9-11 military raised their hand and swore that they would protect and defend the constitution of the United States. 
all enemies, foreign and domestic. That's it. It's very easy. And what that means is we are now trying to put our lives on the line to, and I say we as someone who enlisted and also served in the, in the, the civilian service, the goal is that you are you are establishing or you are defending the continuity of the constitutional republic. Okay. Um, that doesn't mean that nobody dies. In fact, it might mean that you die when you make that that that, that oath. Um, but what the post 9-11 on September 12th, 2001, what we did change it to was no American dies on American soil from, from terrorism. And that is a fundamentally unachievable goal, but it is a pre-crime goal. And we are seeing 20 years of that sort of uh, policy. And that means we have to go find white supremacists and white nationalists because theoretically they could be dangerous to other Americans and no American dies from terrorism. It's not an achievable goal. You might as well just weld yourself into your house like, a, like the Chinese do. Um, you know, like it's, it's the same as zero COVID policy. You can't stop a virus and you can't stop people's thoughts, but, right. uh, and there's more to this obviously, but th that's the fundamental change in the definition of national security. And it gave a creeping mission to all these Intel, uh, groups. And that includes DHS. That includes, you know, all the entities that are underneath DOJ, whether it's FBI or DOJ, or, um, I'm sorry, FBI, uh, DEA, ATF, you know, you name it, all these individuals are going after this. You cannot have anybody die from terrorism of any flavor. Wow. So people, this is how persecution works. I, I guess yeah. we got a, a peek behind a curtain right at the beginning. So that's good because the FBI's paid the lip service of recantation. But I mean, the, the, the distinction that, that Kyle, you just made matters so much because all of us know in our text messages, jokes, we tell, things we say we know we're not criminals right like i mean no one it's it's the latin mass community they they think it's bad that i let my kids watch certain netflix shows right yeah. but because this is not a criminal case this is an intel case i know we're banging this drum hard but it, 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 persecution is the watchword and people might not understand that yet because yes. it's an intel case that is being talked about being opened or has been opened against TLM Catholics. And if you, if you were to go the three or four main TLM Catholics in America, my name's going to come up. And uh, I've literally never smoked a cigarette. Yeah. You know, even though I, I, I have, I have a rock, I have a rock youth. I've never smoked a cigarette in my, I have seven kids and, you know, look, look kind of clean, look really clean. That doesn't matter with an Intel case because they're interested now. They have a policy interest. This memo plus, this Intel product that you whistle blew on shows that they have a policy interest in persecuting Catholics. Um, because like you said, you said it once today, you've said it a lot in the last week. The SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center, is now a source for the FBI. And this means that their definition is circumscribed only by that woke set of parameters that make someone like me, I guess, a white supremacist. I'm not. That, that's an odd well, thing. What their their claim in this document is not explicitly that you're a white supremacist. Is that you're receptible, uh, you're acceptable or receptive to recruitment by white supremacists, who are obviously the boogeyman. Um, as someone who's worked cases against white supremacists, and um, I can't tell you the number, but it's probably in the the low dozens. We, we would assign our, you know, be assigned to these types of cases and what the average white supremacist in my personal experience, I, I can't speak for everybody, but my team got spent, you know, sent all around the country. Uh, let me give you three great examples. Number one, we had a case on a guy who went backpacking with his family in Alaska. 
and he was like a racist prepper. And he believed in being part of uh, this MMA community and that there was a race war coming. So he should train on how to protect his family. Uh, you don't have to agree with his with his assessment of the world to know that he's allowed to have that assessment. That's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Even if it makes him an a-hole in public conversation, you don't want to hang out with him. He's allowed to have that. The government has no business. That's number one. Uh, number two, khaki pants, Chuck Taylors, a um, a 22-year-old kid wearing a polo shirt who was probably like making racist Reddit posts while he was getting a Starbucks latte. I watched that guy for a couple of weeks. Um, I don't know. Like, I just didn't see it. Like, what is that guy doing? Like, he's on the internet. He's a jerk. Like, that's allowed. That's another thing. You're allowed to be a jerk and not everything you see on the internet has to be true or even represent you. There's plenty of people that are out there trolling, um, whether professionally or otherwise, because that's something that they're interested in doing. First Amendment protected, stay out of it. And then the last one was a guy who said that he was, a, you know, had these racist ideas and he was down at a military base in the United States Marine Corps. And we watched him and he was like 19 or 20 years old and he'd never held hands with a girl. And, you know, he was probably really lonely and he wanted to get out of the Marine Corps. And he was kind of what we used to call like a, a scurver, which is somebody who like avoids doing PT and like anything hard. So, you know, he was this guy that was trying to scurve out of his, uh, his, his service and he wanted to separate from the Marine Corps. So he kind of, you know, said that he was suicidal and some other stuff. So we watched him for a little while. They actually sent undercovers, which is very expensive, by the way. They sent undercovers in to meet with this guy and took him out to dinner. And, you know, yeah, like you want to go and shoot up a, a, a police station full of black cops. And he was like, no, nah, I kind of want to go and like meet a girl and maybe get a job and just get out of the Marine Corps. And I kind of hate what I'm doing. <laughs> so it's like at the end of the day, this is your white supremacy threat. I'm not saying there are not some like legitimately bad people in this country. There obviously are. And there's some obvious racists who maybe have some violent tendencies. But the threat and and I've been quoted in. Um, I think Julie Kelly quoted me saying this, but it's it's an obvious statement to me. The uh, the demand for white supremacy in this country vastly outstrips the supply of white supremacy. And uh, if they're looking for you, it tells you that the sump pump is running low on on pumpable material. And now we're going to start looking into this. You know, it's not really even a, it's not a vehicle to go after Catholics. It's a vehicle to enter the Christian faiths in general, all denominations, because pretty much. Uh, anti-abortion and not trying to teach your kids about LGBTQIA plus spectrum rights is uh, that's a very mainstream Christian perspective, uh, of regardless of your denomination. So uh, you know, whether you like Latin or not is irrelevant. Yeah, it's totally irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. Whether you like Latin or not, whether you like, you know, Jerome translating the Bible for Pope Damasus into Latin has nothing to do with it. Even even our, our Protestant Catholics, EOs, you know, the Orthodox and even Protestants, the kind of lovable bucktooth relatives at the family reunion. <laughs> if you read the scriptures, if you read the scriptures, which they do, they do it very, very intently, yep. then just the LGBT whatever is a non-starter. Abortion's right. non-starter. I forget what the yeah. third big category was. So like anti-Semitism. So so what their their statement was, and and this, I mean, this is a very serious. If people want to read my analysis of it, I try to do a very sober analysis. I didn't inject my personality, which can be substantial, into my my write-up. It's at uncoverdc.com. Uh, friend of my, uh, you know, my little show and friend of the, the suspendable whistleblower group that I have, Tracy Beans put it out there. And yeah. it's really straightforward. Look, like I didn't try to tell people how to think. I just gave them a perspective on what these things mean. And, and then I gave the source documents and you can agree or disagree based on what the source document tells you. That's really the way that I believe in it. It's the way that I did criminal investigations too. It's like, here's the evidence, here's my take on it, but the evidence speaks for itself. So either you agree with me or you don't, um, but you have the evidence to look at. That's, that's the best way to present these things. And what they did, um, not to get too far afield here, 
but they're talking about the fact that post-Vatican II, the Catholic Church had a much more ecumenical stance on other Christian denominations and also on Judaism and the world religions. And so yeah. either you believe that the, the Catholic Church is the one and true church, which is a pre-Vatican II sort of thing, and everybody else is following, you know, like a failure or a, or a misinterpretation, some bastardization of the of the word, or you're willing to accept that everybody has a chance. And by the way, the Jesuits that I, I went to school with, like they were kind of a post-Vatican II kind of softness about it. And, and I don't have a hard line on either. Like I like good people who are good people. I think God probably understands that our heart better than any of us can, but I'm a Catholic. I told my wife, I said, if we're going to go to church, we're going to go to a Catholic church because that's what I know. And she didn't have any church. She was an atheist her whole life. So, you know, she's, she's since been baptized. She was baptized last year at Easter, which I thought was amazing. It was a miraculous thing to watch. Um, I'll interject another little cool thing. Cause I went to uh, America fest and I got to speak on stage. Very weird. Uh, 10,000 people with their cell phone, like lights up there, like a rock concert. And Tucker Carlson was the first major speech of that event. And he said something that I, I think is really, really valuable. Um, probably to all people of, of any Christian denomination, but it's really, I think, special to Catholics, um, even though he's not a Catholic. He said, I'm not going to waste my time believing in a religion that doesn't promise miracles. Yeah. I just, I really like that. It was like my favorite thing I've heard anybody say about it from a non-Catholic even. But what he said, it's like, look, you need a faith that promises miracles because the world is full of a lot of corruption, a lot of strange things. And there's no reason that you and I, Tim, should be sitting here having this conversation. I should be doing Indian crime investigations in New Mexico by all rights. But the 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 powers of of evil in this country have kind of conspired and funneled me down this channel. And so I'm sitting here talking to you about this. And I really do believe that if I had tried to tell people, here's my plan, I'm going to take all the things the FBI is doing that's wrong. I'm going to expose them in the public. I'm going to get other people to come and bring them to me so I can bring them to Congress and to the news media. And then I'm going to go and be like a messenger talking about how the FBI is doing evil things to people. Like they, You'd be a crazy person to believe that that was doable 18 months ago. All right. Like it's just, there's no reason that I should have been sitting on Tucker Carlson talking about those things, as you mentioned. But I do believe that there's a plan. I do believe in this sort of miraculous sort of path that it's on. And uh, and so far, the FBI hasn't kicked down my door, which is also a kind of a minor miracle because, you know, they're willing to operate outside the boundaries of of propriety. Uh, I actually talked to Mark Cout last night, which is also crazy. Um, and that's another person who's kind of been a victim of this. You know, the FBI has tipped their hand. They're willing to go full bore into a place that they have no ability to really, um, they ought not to be weighing in on it. Like the FBI doesn't care about abortion rights. At least it, it doesn't by statute, except they do. So two, two things, I, yeah. I want to back you up a second. Um, first off, tech, Technically speaking, if you read the Vatican II documents, this is a, a talking point on this channel. We, we're a little bit of a bridge. It's the one nice thing we do. The rest of it's all mean. Vatican II does not make the church technically any more ecumenical in the in the hard scatological ways you're talking about to sure. the rest of the world than pre-Vatican II did. Like that, that's the kind of thing that can't can't change. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. It's you know he's he's the single way. So that's. That's a common misconception that even a lot of trads have. They think Vatican II changes this. It didn't. The, no, I, I, I think that yeah. that's something that I, I grasp. What's interesting is, is that that's what the document called out as yeah. a potential yeah. no, for singling out trad Catholics. So that's funny to me. It, it also tells me this person probably has never met anybody that attends Latin mass, uh, anybody like, like in the wide scale Catholic church. Like Catholics tend to be like, especially the ones that I run around with, folks like you who have, you know, like a, like a smattering of children. I'm one of six kids. My mother is one 
one of um she's one of eight my dad was one of five you know i've got three We're, we might have to keep going because uh i feel like just replacing yourself by one is, is not enough in this world we have to outbreed evil and uh yeah. and when you're when you're doing that uh these are not the kind of people that are into white supremacy it's just not the way it works um even even the mormon people that are out there that and i have some wonderful mormon friends like for whatever the, the the sort of the idiosyncrasies of their religious beliefs, like they're super nice people and they make a yeah. lot of babies and their babies are really nice people and they're well-behaved and you know, they're, they're good so Americans. blonde. They're so they blonde. So, my buddy has got like a dark beard like this. It's like what? scruffy and ugly and he's got black hair and I, and his wife is like a beautiful tall blonde. And I always laughed and I was like, man, like she, uh, she was really slumming when she picked you up. And then I saw a picture <laughs> of him in uniform and he didn't look like such a dirt bag, but uh, he grows this like scruff. And there's, there's, was he kind of blonde? As long as he no. was kind of blonde, they'll no. accept. You no, just... no, no. He has like black haired, no, no. curly, like Ooh. this, like just curly black haired savage uh, who, you know, just wants to go to war. And the Mormons are blonde supremacists. Are those, yes. is that, is that one of the FBI's designations for like a, cause they are, not, they are not yet, not they yet. are BS blonde, blonde supremacists. Wait, wait, but you never, I want the, my second follow-up to that was just asking for a follow-up from you. What happened to those three ridiculous ridiculous cases that you mentioned the guy that went to alaska that likes mma and doesn't like white people getting beaten up that's that's a terrorist what happened to him what happened to the other two young guys you mentioned like um it's alaska a circle, guy not was, a line so yes alaska guy was actually arrested um, because they found a criminal case when you get enough time on it he was arrested for being mean to antifa in los angeles no, what um, possibly incitement of violence. Yeah. So the movement was called rise against people can look it up. Um, rise against is the name of their group. They had some like YouTube premises. They have like hard rock music and some like tough guy looking videos and whatnot. Um, amusingly enough, I had a, uh, a tumbler, like a hot and cold, you know, drink tumbler in the case briefing before we went out and started watching this guy. And one of the things on my tumbler was a, and it's sitting in my truck, so I can't show you, but it's, it's a, a Viking skull with a red beard and a sword going through the head. And it is the unit symbol for the special tactics unit that my buddy serves on. Uh, it was something I trained to do. And we met in the air force doing that. And they came up and they saw the red bearded skull with a, with a, a knife in it. And they said, should you even be in this briefing with, a, with a, a symbol like that? And I said, wow. a symbol like what, like what? And they go like, isn't that kind of on the same here is these guys and i go i don't know this is a special operations group that defends your freedom so i don't know if i piss off is sort of my thought about it uh my buddy on there who gave it to me is like the darkest skinned mexican guy you've ever met <laughs> he's and he's an awesome human being he's like one of my favorite humans he's the funniest cleverest guy and i told him i said apparently your unit symbol is a white supremacy and he goes oh ninja of course he always calls me ninja that's his thing so back and forth we just call each other ninja I, don't ask me why um you're like but so other, nonchalant about that. Like they're they're literally like, huh? Maybe we'll look at you. That that doesn't make you even a little twitchy, Kyle. That, I, mean, uh, I mean, I I work there. It's like come after me. Like come at me, bro. That's that's my theory about the FBI. Because as much as everybody thinks it's this behemoth, you know, I'm I'm over here making it bleed with a like a pocket knife cutting at its its ankles, and it's Godzilla, and I'm one guy. But there's a reason why. I'm here and I'm doing this. And there's a reason why the FBI is vulnerable because it's wrong. That's the thing. The things that it's, the things that it's, is wrong. And it doesn't, the, the, the threat tag that was tagging parents, like I'm a parent, I won't get my, put my kids in school. I don't know if you guys do homeschooling, but like, there's no way I trust government schools. Like you, like you'd be a fool at this point. Right. So I'm looking down the barrel of it and going, I'm a parent and I don't want parents targeted if they do choose to use government schools. And I'm i uh, I'm a Catholic and I don't want them targeting Catholics. So 
I'm just one guy and I'm having a, a, at least some impact, particularly with the, the large number of Catholics inside the FBI. And there are a large number of them. My Quantico roommate was a Catholic. Um, and he's since reached out to me and he goes, I can't believe they're doing this to you. And I go, well, yeah, but like they're doing it to me, but you're there, buddy. Like you're in it, you're in yeah. it. And what are you saying? Like, what is it that you're speaking out about? And the answer is, is that all Catholics that are working inside the bureau and all Christians need to hold the line and not allow this agency to do the thing it's doing. And that may mean it has to be destroyed. So what? It's just your job. Like, where are you going to spend your pension in an America that infringes on your religious freedoms? And then your first amendment, uh, you know, a freedom of association, your freedom of speech and so on. Like who wants to live in that country? Cause I was in the eighties and it was awesome. Like it was pretty cool. Even though we had the cold war, the nineties were pretty good, probably too much cocaine, but so be it. Um, terrible fashion design. Right. But some, but some really nostalgic parts of, uh, of American life that I remember like post-racial, I didn't even know about race until I got into, I don't know, maybe when I moved to Texas, I learned about race. I didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, I had friends that were like different colors. I just knew like some people brought Asian food to, to, to school. And it was like, Oh, we could do a trade for my fruit roll up or whatever. I'll have, they, those are good. were they Asian supremacists? Perhaps? They were. Yeah, for sure. They're Cul Filipinos. culinary they're, they're Asian supremacists. Like, yeah, open they're, up Catholic, they're Catholic Filipinos, man. Like that's, that was a lot of that Filipinos and Vietnamese people where I grew up a lot, uh, in Southern California a lot. And well, yeah. What do you do with that? Like, what a crazy thing. The other, the other two, um, one was an ongoing case. Uh, they eventually all just lose uh, attention. They fall into the back. They do what we call papering the file. So when the case is no longer interesting, it's not hot. Um, my buddy, my buddy Phil, also a Catholic agent, would um, would talk about how in his mind there was like this like red you know easy button that sat on a lot of the agents' desks, and they would slam it. Because they'd be sitting there with their feet up on the on the desk, they'd be reading the newspaper, and they would look over at their partner and they'd go, "You know, we haven't done anything on that white supremacy case in a while." And they they would he would go, "Yeah." And we're coming up on file review, which is every ninety days you got to show that you've done something on the case to keep it open. And so he would go, "You want to put uh, surveillance on them?" And he goes, "Yeah, we might as well." Hit the button for surveillance. Okay, so they hit the surveillance button, which is essentially they would just write up what we call electronic communication and EC, and they would request surveillance, and then it would come to my team. But at my end, when I received the button, it was a, like a red claxton and a siren going off in the hangar. It's like me, me, you know, like this is the big one. This is the big one. We got a white supremacy case. So everybody, like, grab your gear, like we're scrambling. So you'd scramble around, you jump in your cars, and you go out and you watch this guy for a couple of weeks, and he'd be like, "It's a kid who likes Starbucks, and he's like working on his resume, but he's a racist, maybe." That was what we would see. And so we would do that until it wasn't interesting anymore. And then they would have enough on the file to kick it down for 90 more days. And then they would use a different technique. They'd be like, what if we put up a pole cam outside of his house? And then they would hit the button that would go to the pole cam guy. And then he would go and install a camera outside on the street or, or whatever. Like all I'm saying is that we were a tool and oftentimes it resulted in nothing. And it would just be not that interesting after like physical surveillance is really expensive, by the way. My team was $5,000 a day in salaries to field for eight hour shifts locally. But when we would go out to like Alaska, figure $10,000 a day between travel, per diem, hotels, rental cars, fuel, all that stuff, like 10 grand a day for an eight hour shift of like basically a dude who put a backpack in the back of his truck and then drove off and uh, went into the wilderness. <laughs> it's like, well, what are we doing here? I mean, it's, this is wild. Like, like the, la the laughter is, the, the laughter is perfect because there's no accountability for money um, the way that it would be in the private sector. Well, if you don't laugh, you cry. But I, this is, yes. I mean, literally, what do you have advice for those of us that are coming under this yoke? Because it's 
It's actually horrifying. I fear the federal government. I'm a big states' rights guy. I'm sure that's going to yep. really help me, my case, yeah. right? That's, that's uh, right? I feel the federal government, and I'm a big constitutional guy. Uh, when I went to law school, I just took all the constitutional classes. I didn't, I didn't want to practice um, for, for, for private reasons. I was working on a PhD and got sort of forced into law school because right. my daughter uh, was, was born more or less sick. So I went to law school, took all the constitutional classes, and I'm like, what pushback can there be? Because this is admin law. This is uh, this is the in, uh, some combination of the intel community and the admin agencies. Yes, what yes. what federalism constrains this? Is it literally just the kind of vox populi that you, guys like you, whistleblowers, are coming to represent? I guess we need to talk about this. What is your advice? Uh, what what's the good news? I'm not sure how good any of the news is because um, you know. I came out publicly. We're looking down a, a Congress that has said they're going to do something about this, but the, but the FBI has already been funded for this this actual calendar year, and they got a one point five billion dollar bump in their budget. Right? They went from like nine and a half to, um, or yeah, over nine and a half, maybe nine point eight to something like eleven point three billion dollars. That's a ton more money. <laughs> That's a ton more money, and they're they're pushing this out. So you know, what do people, people can make individual actions. I think you have to hold your elected representatives accountable. I think that's your, your only real serious recourse in the public sphere. But the more important one is that people have to look down at their, at the ground and, and draw the line in the sand that they are not going to accept. And some of you out there, uh, you know, in the, in the world, I won't say out some of you, but some of the Americans that we deal with on a daily basis have already backpedaled beyond their, their, their line in the sand, well beyond it. This started in 2020. They accepted lockdowns and and government authorities that they had no uh, no no ability to actually legally implement on us, and we all took it. Uh, well, I didn't take it, but some people did. <laughs> took it a lot more uh, laying down than uh, than makes sense to me. I know. And you know, we look at this country like it's a, a brave country of you know land of the free and home of the brave, and I do believe that is, but it's not a huge percentage of brave or free. It turns out because if you're not willing to to undergo some personal hardship and sacrifice, then then why in the world would anyone take you seriously? Here's here's right. a great example. I think people should think about. Um, I am I was very disillusioned with what the Catholic Church did outside of D.C. in 2020. In fact, my family and I stopped going to mass because uh, we would basically celebrate at home. We would we and this is like before my wife actually converted. We were working on it. She's doing Bible in the Year podcast. She's listening to Catholic priests, you know, give sermons. We didn't attend Eucharist because you couldn't go into a Catholic church where we were. That wasn't an option. They shut them down physically and you couldn't come in. And then the second thing is, is we had little babies and the cry room when they did open them up was one family at a time for one, you know, for each mass. And there are 150 families with small crying children. So we had the opportunity of either going in there and having screaming babies and getting dirty looks or, you know, just saying this is not like I was so disgusted because our ancestors died over celebrating mass recently, like in the last century, they did that. And moreover, you know, if you look at the historical perspective of the church, people went and celebrated mass near the, in the catacombs with the dead, because that was where nobody would come look for them amongst all the disease and the rotted carcasses of, of people that were stuffed into the tombs. So if they were willing to do that and face, you know, you know, crucifixion of their own or death by lions, or even just execution by the state in a, in a more humane way. Uh, and we're scared of just going to mass because we might get a citation. I'm disgusted by that on a yeah. lot of levels. I know. And that obviously wasn't every church, but that's what I saw in my area. And there were no other alternatives in uh, outside of in Northern Virginia. So that's really gross. And I'm, I, 
I hope that they learned a lesson. I hope that everybody decided that never again is is the motto for that. It was vile. I, yeah, I mean, there's a distinction between red martyrdom and white martyrdom and what you commonly come across as a younger Catholic. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm 41, but is guys going age. like, oh, yeah, I, are we? Are we? I yeah. thought I thought we were similar. Similar. You get young dudes going, oh, I'd have been a red martyr, you know, like St. Stephen and blah, blah. And you're like, well, but but you're lowering your voice. You're not even willing to be the slightest bit of a white martyr. A white that's not a race term, FBI. That's that means someone <laughs> persecuted. It's yes. they're fired from their job. They're mm-hmm. uh, you know, they you know, I've I've been fired from several jobs. I just lost my Patreon account uh, a week and a half ago. Like, and I, and this is nothing. And that's this is what I was telling people. That's that right. is nothing compared to being fed to the lions in the Coliseum. So it's been it's been horrible. But but yes. now it's we're we're stepping up. It looks like you have no good news to offer because it sounds like you are the herald of the news that people are going to get the FBI knocking at their door for going to Latin Mass and what making making a joke, uh, a text joke uh, to their friends, a private right. what they thought was a private text joke to their friend. Right. What a, can you tell people at the very least if you can't offer good news? Well, what do they do? What we give advice? What if the FBI All comes? Right. So. Yeah, no, no good news is not the way that I would. Uh, that's not a good characterization. There, but it's not great news by any means. So here's the things. Number one, I do think that there is evil in this world. I think that we are experiencing it in real time. And I had a really fun conversation. People can go find it on my Rumble channel with Mark Hout uh, last night. And I asked him the same thing. I said, "Look, I see two possibilities. Number one, evil is overrunning us, and that this country." And you know, because there's no guarantee, God doesn't make any promises that uh, that America survives. That's not that's not no. scriptural. We just sort no. of believe that because we're sort of uh, egocentric as a country, we're, we're we're ethnocentric or whatever you want to call it in this country to believe that with no America there is no world. That's false. Um, so we have to take concrete actions. I'm a big believer in sort of pray to God but row for the shore kind of mentality. Like you can cry out. And, and ask for help to calm the storm, but like pick up the damn oars and get after it and start right. moving because like, you know, th- your actions are part of the, uh, of the plan. If there is a plan at all that you're going to be, you know, coming out the other end of it. Um, so let's say this, first of all, people need to be using end to end encrypted apps. That's number one. Like, don't be stupid. Don't put your, your, your data out there for the government or for big tech companies because they don't have your best interest at heart. So in a very practical way, signal session, uh, wicker, maybe, I don't know. My friends in the CIA think it's really good, but they like work for the CIA. So I don't know what I think about that. And the CIA had some money invested in it and Amazon web server owns it. So find the, you know, do your research, find end to end encrypted options for doing your communications. That's a big piece of it because it's not about that. You have something to hide. It's that they have no right to read what you have to say. Right. That's what you, that's what you have to look at. So defend your own rights with your own actions. That's part one. Uh, number two, attend mass, go to your religious services, whatever they may be. It doesn't matter to me. Honestly, if people want to go to evangelical services, please do. Like, I'd rather you do that and try to live a life where you teach your children about religion. Unlike what you and I probably saw in the nineties where everything was like, so cool, man. And like, it's whatever you're into, you're into spirituality, but you're not into religion. Uh, no, that's how we got here. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's how we got here. That's how we got here. That's, that is the participation trophy of yeah. faith is that yeah. like whatever you're into that makes you a good person. I don't actually believe that there are hard and fast rules and they've existed for thousands of years. There's a reason why there's a Judeo and a Christian tradition. And there's a reason why even the Marxists, even the commies in this world cannot sit there and go, you know, um, 
like without Christianity, we'd be better off. I love to point this out to my father-in-law who was a legitimate, like avowed communist type. And I was like, everything you believe comes from Christianity. Like, where do you think the intrinsic nature of the value of the poor comes from? Right. Right. Like, are you a fool? Like, have you not looked into like where this came from? Like, you can't be a Marxist without Christianity existing first. You just think that you're post-Christian. And I would argue the results don't really favor what you've said. So, right. The most know, cogent argument against racial supremacy of any kind, I, I don't think it's a particularly very important category pro or con, but I am first and foremost a Christian and I've made myself unpopular in shows past by citing what 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 Christ says in 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 me Christ there is neither actually it's Saint Paul in Christ there's neither Greek nor Jew people are like well you know you get some of that not not white supremacists but you get people that that uh might tend one iota in that direction they're like well that's not what that means that that basically is what that means and if you like to smash racism as the secular hardcore kids of upstate New York say they might not like Christianity but they want to take from it. They want to nurse from it all right. of the its best arguments and secularize them. Well, that doesn't work. The reason that we're not allowed to hate anyone, even our very real enemies, much less imagined racial ones, is because of Jesus. You know, so that, that's, that's it. No, that's I mean, it, it's, there, it's inherently hilarious. I sometimes um, tell my wife that 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 pounding headache that my father-in-law must wake up with every morning is uh cognitive dissonance that's what that's called and uh and i imagine if you are a leftist that is your problem you can't tell me you don't believe in owning firearms right but uh that cops should be the only ones who have them but you want to defund the cops you don't like cops like everything you say doesn't make any damn sense at all right and 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 your arguments are fundamentally at a very humanist level like oh i'm a humanist i'm not a christian like well you're making christian arguments so just enjoy them because i do i enjoy that you make them i agree with you i just you came from you're basically trying to cut off the premise and just give me you know the outcome of what the argument is but the premise is what we're all we're talking about right now so it is funny um the other thing so like i said protect your data that's that's a big deal people need to do that they need to make uh steps to to know where their lines are in the sand and then not budge on them and then know that there's going to be consequences like there's a concept called stress inoculation you ever heard this term no it's it's probably a military primarily. Um, it's something that I experienced when I went through survival school, when I did some of the difficult uh, trainings that I did, which are a ton of fun. Um, like the, like there's some joy when you're a 27 year old idiot and you don't have a wife and you don't have to like answer to anybody where they just like beat the living hell out of you physically and emotionally and mentally. Um, and you get paid, you know, like 900 bucks every two weeks. Like there's some joy in that. And I, w- part of the training is, is that they want to expose you to the hardship that you may face and show you some coping mechanisms so that when it does happen in reality, it's not the first time you see it. Great example. Uh, there's a guy named Mike Durant. He was the helicopter pilot on Black Hawk Down. Um, he was shot down. He was grabbed by the Somalis. He was put into a, a, a little hut in the village there in Mogadishu outside, you know, and he was hearing all the helicopters flying around looking for him. By the way, they were playing um, uh, Can't Kill the Rooster. Allison Chains. Yeah, oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was they what gave them hope. The roosting. Yeah, they've come to snuff the rooster. One of those great like moments, like you know, that's a '90s you know grunge rock that I'm just like, I love that song because great I think song. of Mike Durant with a broken leg sitting on a little crappy mat on a dirt floor and someone coming in to interrogate him. And what he said was, the minute that that interrogator came through the door in this little hut, 
He looked at the guy and he had a flashback to his Sears school experience where they send somebody through the door and they interrogate you. And is it as, as extreme? No, like you just haven't, I, I went through about a week where you don't really eat anything. I think they give you like a carrot and uh, like a bite of rabbit, which is uh, not very good. And then, um, and then they put you in a dark room and then they beat the hell out of you and they try to ask you questions and your job is to resist them. Okay. The stress inoculation is you have seen something difficult. Someone has come to uh, interrogate you under bad circumstances, and you are prepared for that because you've seen something like that. Prepare yourself mentally for the things that may challenge you, whether it's someone at your job saying something that is absurd, asking you to sign a pledge that you will not sign, and then don't do it. <laughs> like you just, you set your feet, you know what the, what the possible consequences are. It's like, I might get fired over this and I will have to find something else. Work your plan B for your, for your, your income, work with your spouse so that your spouse supports you. That's a really big deal. Um, you know, my wife is a hundred percent behind me and has been since day one. And she takes care of our three children, you know, kind of on her own in a big way. Like most of the day I'll go sometimes and, and start being on a media hit at five 30 in the morning. And I won't get back until it's dark. I'm sitting in this silly little RV and I'm talking to people for free. Like there's no money involved. It's just me doing this because I think it's really important. And she does too. So get your spouse on board. And then when, when you're inoculated, like under no circumstances, can you give up? You don't right. allow your, your parish priest. If you go to a more, um, you know, vanilla type of experience, you don't let them shut down your mask. Like you go there and you, you tell them to do his job and, and, and COVID is no excuse and no virus is an excuse. Like that means we should be at mass more. Uh, right. And so things like that are, I think are really important. Um, the thing that Mark Howe told me is there's only two ways that they can go. Either the, uh, the devil is taking over our world and we are dealing with evil that is unparalleled and running rampant or it is the last gasp of a failing attempt. And he said, right. they talk about a parable of the wounded lion. The wounded lion catches no prey. And right now, I think that the evil in this world is wounded and it's very loud and it is it's exposing itself and prey is escaping. We should be escaping it because it's, it's telling us exactly what it is and where it is. So we can see it, we can hear it. We know that it's wrong. And so our actions have to be defensive accordingly. We should be building our, our, um, our defenses up instead yes. of being fearful. So that's that's kind of my only hope type message. Okay, would would you uh, take some some questions, Kyle? I mean, sure. I think I think I was going to ask you to, to to state something on um, the the policy importance of of whistleblowing, but I think you've kind of done that throughout the entire. I mean, you're kind of showing, justifying, uh, exampling why whistleblowing is so important. So we can skip to some audience questions if 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 we got them. Did you have one of them for me, Steph? Um oh no, sorry. Um looked like a looked like a <laughs> looked like a DoorDash order. <laughs> Do you like chicken salad chick? Yeah. Specifically, uh if the FBI come knocking on your door, if you're just a citizen, what what are some advice? What is your advice on how to handle that situation? Yeah, everyone's wanting to know that. Yeah, that's a reasonable question. Um, you're under no obligation to speak to the feds, any feds. Um, if they come with a search warrant, that means there's a court order. You can open the door or they'll knock it down. So you might as well open it. Um, I've had this advice when I was in the military. I actually had a search warrant served on my trailer. I owned a little Airstream and they said, you know, we have a search warrant. We're going to take your door off or you can open it. It's like, well, that's easy. I'll just open it. Um, that's your option. If they come for an arrest warrant uh, and they don't know you're in the house and you're like, they don't, they still have to find you. So, you know, I'm not advocating that people flee or, or avoid, you know, prosecution of, of a felony or anything along those lines. But if there's an arrest warrant for you and they don't have probable cause to believe that you're in that house, and they don't have a arrest warrant to get into the home and, the, and they, they can ask if you're there and nobody, you're under no obligation to say anything to the feds. Just don't lie to them. Um, so FBI, DEA, ATF, 
um, DHS entities, whether it be HSI or otherwise, you have no obligation to share any information. This is what the Fifth Amendment says. You don't have to self-incriminate. You don't have to be cooperative. You just cannot be an obstruction. So I think that's the deal. Um, Here's the other part of it. Everybody talks to the feds. Every time I knock on the door, they talk to me. I'm really reasonable. I don't know why. And I'm also really judicious with that skill. Like it's a power that I think that you wield and you should do so um, in a way that is uh, an ethical use of that authority, but people always talk to us. So don't be those people. Just shut your mouth. Don't like, let them work their case. If they're going to do a case against you and they're going to come in, they're going to take whatever they're going to take. So be it. You have no obligation to help and and you shouldn't, uh, particularly when you know that you haven't done anything wrong. So that's the best advice I can give anybody. It's really hard. But once again, this is stress inoculation. Make the decision up front. Put yourself in the scenario. Role play it with your spouse if you have to. Knock, knock. Who's there? It's the FBI. Thanks so much for coming. I hope you have a search warrant. Oh, well, come back when you do. Goodbye. Please get off my property. I'm going to be calling the sheriff's department. Yeah. That's fine. You're welcome to do what that. About, what about something that is sort of the, uh, it whis- it's whispered in the background. Are they planting evidence? Is the FBI planting evidence? Are they, what if they, particularly on your computer, are they taking computers and are they doing, I I mean, this, this is what everyone's afraid of. This is what everyone whispers about. I would never have believed that until recently. I'm now on the fence, whether that's possible or not. It's really gross to think about it. There are wonderful people that work in the bureau and I am friends with them. And that's why, that's why I'm friends with them because they're wonderful people. There are not scrupulous people everywhere. It doesn't take very many people to be ideologically motivated and doing something dangerous. I have no evidence to believe that that is happening, but I do have people like Cheryl Atkinson, who I've spoken to and um, whose story is incredibly plausible to me. And that's terrifying. It doesn't take very many bad actors. The other possibility is this. Are there bad actors who are associated with and are willing to do things on behalf because they have an ideological bend and they know they can help build a case and they get paid for it. So the, the story about like Ray Epps, people always ask, well, was Ray Epps a Fed at January 6th? I don't yeah. know. But if I had to guess, I would bet that he was a source for somebody. I just don't think he was an FBI source. But for, hmm. for awareness, the FBI's budget is $1.3 billion for this coming year or this, this current year we're in. DHS is like $123 billion. There are a lot of intelligence operations that are happening on the DHS side of things. So is that, you know, and then there's ATF and there's DEA and there's other, you know, there's a marshal service. There's all these different entities. They all are running sources and sources get paid when they build cases. So the possibility of somebody helping to build a case thinking they're doing a good thing is real. Um, It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying to imagine that. And the guy, James Meek, I don't know if you saw his story. He got arrested by Mm -hmm. um, ABC. You know, I am very, very suspicious of him because he's a, he's a competent and skilled operator when it comes to moving intelligence. The original story was that he had um, classified documents, but he actually had a search warrant served on him for child pornography. I knew it when it happened because my friends were on that search warrant. And it's weird because it was on Dropbox. So, you know, the thing is, is that the possibility, let's say that the possibility exists, but I wouldn't say it's a high probability, but it's a real concern. We have to be aware of it. You have to be talking to our friends about these things. I, I wouldn't be whispering it. I'd be talking the way I'm talking to you that we have to know that possibilities exist, that our government has been corrupted and that some of the entities are... And the only way that happens is because the FBI has lost its, it's lost its shine with Intel products like we talked about. That's how they lost our credibility. So here's the super chat. Uh, Kyle, do agents at your level speculate how orders and policies are formed by upper management? Are agents like you uh, quarantined from upper management? Uh, so I had weird access to upper management that a lot of people didn't because of I was in, in these dog and pony shows with my surveillance team. Um, I also... Um, I think that uh, engaging, can I tell a funny story? 
Yeah, go for it. Okay, so so we have a um a position that's the GS fifteen. It's uh, so it's the highest on the on the general schedule. It's the assistant special agent in charge, and the assistant special agent in charge of my unit when I was working surveillance came out to our offsite location. And he was in a suit and my boss was in a suit and they never wore suits. So it was always like, uh-oh, like what's going on? So I see them and I just run the other way. Like, you don't want to be like, I don't know. I was in the military. I was enlisted. I was at E3. You don't want to hang out when the general comes to go like do an inspection. You want to be somewhere else. So I went into the conference room and I'm looking around and I'm doing my thing. And I'm also a joker, as you can probably tell. So I come out of the built, like out of this, this conference room and bam, here they are. All three of them. It's the supervisor for the aviation squad, the surveillance supervisor, and this ASAC. They're all wearing suits. And, um, and I'm like, oh. I can't get away because I looked him right in the eye and I knew I was stuck. And my boss goes, oh, you know, sir, like here's Kyle Serafin. Like he's one of our agents. He's on, a, you know, whatever the Bravo team. And I was like, ah, shoot. So he goes, hey, Kyle, uh, it's nice to meet you. And I was like, yeah, it's nice to meet you too, sir. Uh, just want to let you know that we're all out of Milano's. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, he goes, um, you're what? I said, uh, I was just in the conference room and the box is totally empty. We're totally out of Milano's, none. <laughs> and he goes, are you talking about the Milano's cookies? And he kind of gives me this hard look and I go, yes, sir. From Pepperidge farms, uh, there are none left. So just letting you know. And he goes, why would you tell me that? And I kind of look at him for a second and I'm not really sure if I, what I, what I think of it. I just go, I don't really know what it is that you do. And I think I've made a mistake. And then I do like an about face and I start walking off and he's like, get the hell over here. Like, what are you doing? Like, so then he starts laughing to his credit and he, and he jokes, but I loved doing stuff like that with people that thought that they were at the top of the food chain because we're all just people. We all just are normal human beings. We all put our pants on one leg at a time. I put mine on it too. I just jump into them because I don't have time. I got kids, but um, you know, end of the day, these are regular people. I do see what, uh, what executive management is. And here's the weirdest part, because I worked at a Washington field for five years. So the people that are at the top of the FBI's food chain were in the middle of the food chain at my field office. Um, Peter Strzok was my buddy's boss. Uh, Andy McCabe was my buddy's boss. I know people that know these guys that like got to the top, literally the number two in the FBI. Um, the woman who was, uh, who ended up taking my security clearance and is in charge of all human resources and training and security. Uh, she was my boss right? She was my boss's boss, but she like ran my division that I was at. She wrote me an award for like three grand uh, for doing a great job. And then she told me that I was sexist, racist, and, and maybe homophobic. And therefore I couldn't have a security clearance like a couple of months later. So that's really funny. Um, I do have Sounds like a great guy on paper. <laughs> yeah. On paper. I'm terrifying. Um, I was, I was really threatening to not only did they say that, but they, they actually reported me to the office of insider threat, which you can imagine as being like traitors and spies. And then they uh, moved me to the national security squad from a criminal squad. They took wow. me from investigating like people who hung themselves on Indian reservations to like whatever our most sensitive operations were in that office, because I'm a, obviously a national security threat. They, they, they don't make any sense. So people should know that it's not so much like the X-Files, okay? Uh, people sitting in the in the the room with the cancer man that are smoking the cigarettes and the lights are out and everybody's wearing an overcoat like late in the day. That's not what it is. It's closer <laughs> to like idiocracy. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't watch uh, political dramas, but people told me like the, the analogy for people is it's not West Wing, it's Veep. And I think that's true. It's a clown show. Like these yeah. people are not serious human beings. They're just trying to get a couple thousand dollars more on their pension and they're willing to do whatever they're told to do that. The deep state uh, is kind of a misnomer because it's really an administrative state. It's not deep or interesting or like scary. It's just fools who are out there trying to add money to their pension and they are they are willing to compromise their ethics. I'll leave this with you. The producer for my little podcast said, um, a GS-15 in the FBI, 
and obviously everybody above them as well, because that's how you get promoted above a GS 15, which is that assistant special agent in charge position is any person who never said no to a bad idea. Right, right, right. So it's it's easier to see it that way than it is like this malign force that's out there, like looking to infringe on your rights. Like, no, they just don't. They just. But don't I mean, how that. does that square with the story? You're like this guy that that whatever went to Alaska. They're like he went to Alaska. He must be dangerous. And then they what they 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 arrested him because he didn't like Antifa. Like that could be any non low T guy out there that might have dusted it's it up good. with. <laughs> Right. That's I mean, uh, non low T. Yeah. Any non beta. Right. So any um, non beta. How long did he go away for? I mean, you're like, I have to look it up. I haven't, I haven't dug into it. Like, you know, like I said, I, I know the guy wasn't a great guy, but like, I think the process probably failed. And was he not a great guy? That's what I'm saying. Like, well, we I don't know. Like his, his, uh, yeah, his, his background that was brief didn't sound like he was going to be someone that I want to hang out with. Um, yeah. But it doesn't yeah. like, there's a lot of people I don't want to hang out with and there's people that don't want to hang out with me. So we should be, you know, pretty fair about that too. Yeah. The, um, it, it squares like this petty corruption. It's all about money in my, this is my assessment. You know, this is, you know, my opinion, whatever level of expertise I have in it. I do believe it's about money. I do believe it's very simply about money. It's about getting a, a little bit more money in your paycheck and your pension and, you know, kind of progressing. Some of it is about status too. I think that's also part of the petty corruption. But when we're talking about these things, the reason why you go after the guy who's a racist MMA fighter, amateur, by the way, he went and fought some fights in Russia or something like that. I think that was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> the, the reason why you go after that guy is because you are incentivized to, to have certain number and certain types of metrics checked off. We have a whole program called the, um, the field office strategic plan or FOSP. And there's this like integrated threat matrix, this ITM and like all these other horrible government acronyms that is essentially a negotiation between FBI headquarters and the field saying FBI headquarters says, we predict with pretty strong capabilities that there's going to be a lot of white supremacists in your area. And we would like you to like show that you can get 11 cases on them like you did last year. And they would go, Ooh, I don't know if there's as many white supremacists as you think. I think we could get eight cases on them. And then, so the, you know, they go back and forth and they decide at nine cases. So they're going to open nine new white supremacy cases and then they're incentivized to hit those metrics. So as long as there's 10 or, you know, 10 cases, like you got the gold star and that means you get promoted. And so, and then everybody in the chain is promoted along with it. So the special agent in charge of the field office gets a bonus for hitting the metrics. And there's a bunch of metrics. They're not just, you know, what's white supremacy cases, but like they get a bonus. Then the assistant special agent in charge now has a buddy who got the bonus. So like he's in good graces and he's going to get the next promotion when that SAC is signing off on it. And then the supervisor is going to be following that ASAC. And then like, I'm the guy on the ground who's supposed to like open this BS case. And I'm over here going, I don't think that guy is a white supremacist. I think he might just be like a jerk. So maybe we don't do that. And there's not enough people saying, hey, we're not going to do that. But the numbers of them that are, tend to be overwhelmingly unvaccinated for COVID, Christian, and they're on the chopping block right now with the FBI. And all my whistleblowers fit that category. My whistleblowers, they're all unvaccinated Christians. Every one of them. It's a, it's a universal. That seems insane to me, but that is like the only, and they're all getting their paychecks suspended. Um, and they're all being listed as like possible insider threats. And they're all getting you know removed from their job and their paycheck in order to starve us out. What they didn't where, realize- where, I, I meant to- kick this out before you're finishing a story but do not forget to say where people can support you and find you and, and can continue the story but i meant to say this like five times as as a guy who just got canceled on patreon people remember to go change your your patreon accounts over to locals for timothy gordon or or uh subscribe star uh 
yeah, you need to you need to be probably shouting that out for yourself too. Then then finish that that narrative. So yeah, I've been trying not to ask for a lot of money. Our, our monthly not like I sold my house. So let, let's just talk about my situation, right? So um, I saw this coming. I knew this was a possibility. My wife and I have always felt like if you're in a national security job, it is your responsibility to be able to be financially solvent in times of financial hardship. I believe yeah. that's true. I don't. That's not common, by the way, in the in the government. When the government shut down in 2019 for a sequester, we only missed one paycheck and only by a couple of days. I had people panicking that were GS 1310s making 170 plus thousand dollars a year in DC or outside of DC. They were legitimately not sure how they were going to make their next mortgage payment. That's incredible. But there are people that are literally paycheck to paycheck on a strong six-figure income, you know, working for the federal government for 20 plus years. That's unacceptable. So I would never put myself in that space. And what we did is we we sold our house because my house was going to cost me you know, between bills and, and mortgage and everything else, probably three grand a month to, to maintain. That's a pretty big hole in the bucket. And then I got to feed, you know, three mouths plus my wife and I, and so that's not cheap. And um, you got to pay for insurance and we don't have any other debt. We only had mortgage. So I have no debt. That's the only upside. And I have some money that I put away from selling the house for equity. And that's what we're living on so that we don't have to go out there and beg. And I don't have to capitulate to the federal government. Uh, that being said, not all my friends are in perfect situations. And uh, I've been supporting other whistleblowers. I've sent probably, we have a give, send, go that's got maybe $35,000 raised. And I sent at least 15,000 of that to other whistleblowers. So I'm a pass-through in the way that people pass through documents and I go public with them. Uh, people, I've been passing through cash to them as well. So people want to go to the gifts and go, it's my name. My name is the, the, the tag to all the stuff I do. So on... Um, on Twitter, it's at Kyle Serafin. On True Social, it's at Kyle Serafin. On YouTube, it's at Kyle Serafin. We're going to start loading our our, our podcast content up there. Uh, Rumble, you know, slash Kyle Serafin. Um, and then and the Give, Send, Go is the same. Give, Send, Go, slash Kyle Serafin. We've had some remarkably generous people. We've had some really wonderful, you know, prayer messages come in. So that's all wonderful stuff. And I and I do read those and and we do share them. And it does add, add a boost. Um, it's not just about the finances, obviously, like knowing that people are are out there and, and appreciate what we're into, but there's some people that are not public and they may be public soon that I'm kind of the, the face of, if you will. And, yeah. and so that's the pass through that people are welcome to go through. And I, I think that we're probably right on the edge of being able to like, you know, request a sponsor. I might even have some read sponsors or something on my podcast. So if people want to watch my podcast, I love it. Uh, we have a lot of fun with it. I meet some really cool people and I have access to like a well of people that most people do not, which is to say former intelligence types right. um, in FBI, NSA, stuff like that. Well, I appreciate your time. Oh, one last question. Two last mm. questions. These could be these could be one-liners. One, black identity extremism was a designation I believe the FBI used uh, in 2017. No one's able to find it now. Did that vanish or what? Like they, BLM, they scrub these. Yeah, they scrub these they, things all the time. They scrub them. Do you know the BIE designation? Because when I got fired in 2020 for talking out against Black Lives Matter that summer. I lost my job as uh, theology department chairman at Garces Memorial in, in California. Uh -huh. They People were like, what's black identity extremist? I'm typing in and I don't see it. I'm like, well, I saw it. It was there. BLM was. was once a BIE. What's funny about that is that, um, well, it's not funny. It's tragic, actually. When I was at the academy, one of my uh, my colleagues and a really great guy sat right next to me. 
um, and uh, Mormon, but wonderful human being and, and like really capable FBI agent. One of those people that you know, spoke Russian. So of course he went and worked Indian crimes and went off into capable the hinterlands. and blonde, super and blonde. Bl- oh yeah. He was definitely blonde. Like, he, <laughs> yeah, Jeremy is blonde, um, but a former Dallas cop and three of his friends were killed by that extremist in Dallas while we were at the FBI Academy in 2016. So you're hundred percent correct that there is a black identity extremist type um, there. I've seen intelligence products that they're very few and far between they're scant and they are they are scarce but i haven't seen them in a while and they are definitely downplayed in a way that uh you know white supremacy is the fbi's favorite boogeyman that's what pays the bills to congress so uh, for whatever reason they you know censoring these things scrubbing them off the internal servers apparently this happens on a fairly frequent basis what they do is they look at the country and they decide in a predictive way in a precog minority report kind of way you know what is the threat landscape and uh, and that's how you know Catholics made it on there because Catholics don't like abortion. And so anybody that might have a problem with abortion, and if you're an ideological actor, which there are a lot of them in the intelligence community, and they are mostly they are mostly based on a an academic lean and a lot of time being indoctrinated by leftist institutions. When you spend a bunch of your time getting a master's degree or a PhD, and you don't have critical thinking skills, which we keep raising children without for some reason, um, you know we're, we're just that's where you get that's where you get these products kind of a fun little thought like you and and me in maybe a lesser way are more punk rock than the punk rock these days because the most punk rock thing and i think gavin mcginnis said it which he's not like a role model for me by any means but he did say something very true and it's like the most punk rock thing in the world you could do is you can go marry one woman and have a couple of kids and raise them in a traditional faith like now you're mr punk rock like that's what the the, what the resistance looks like so it's very funny to me that these like leftist types like that they're resisting something it's like, no, you're the bad guys. You don't realize it, but you're the bad guys at this point. Yeah, Rage you, Against the Machine once saying, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Right, and, but go get the shot and, immediately and do whatever you're Go get the shot or follow the rules of the school marms or you're not welcome at our concerts. Do do what they tell you. It's, it's unbelievable. So, it's amazing though, but like I think that's what reveals um, a lack of foundation. And it, it goes back to what we were talking about with the Marxists too. If you have a lack of foundation in what you're actually saying, you're not going to be able to make any stands. And so that is the set your feet in the sand because um, you know, you're know you going to lose a little bit of ground. That's what happens when you get hit and you're standing in the sand. Yeah. I, don't yeah. know, I don't know if you've ever had a fight on the beach, but you, you lose ground, but but you have to set your lots feet of firmly enough. on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> but once but. you're out there, you're like, you, you may get knocked over a little bit. You got to be able to set your feet so you've got enough wiggle room that you don't cross that line. And, and I think all of us have, are being put to that decision, not to mix metaphors, but we're put for the decision for all of our chips, financially speaking, spiritually, um, you know, your own degree of looking your children in the eyes, because at some point they're going to come to us. Like our children's generation is going to look yeah. at us and say, what did you do to try to stop this onslaught for our freedoms? And the answer is either going to be, I did these following things and this is what I suffered. And that's why we had to move around all the time when you were a kid, or you're going to say, well, I just shut my mouth and now I have this nice pension and I live in a decent house. And by the way, uh, the government cameras are all around our house now that they can hear us talking about this. That's, that's what's at stake. Right. And technically I have had a fight on a, I fought a couple bouncers (laughs) with my brother on Huntington beach, but we were on street. We weren't on the sand. So (laughs) it, it, it was a, it was a bad one. Um, Kyle, so tell people where they can find you. H- hang out for a second after we we uh, close this down. I want to I want to ask you a couple other things. Tell people sure. where they can find you. I, I mean, you're you're very visible these days, and uh, you know, clo- close it down with any kind of uh, outro you want. Just tell us where they can 
find you. That's how we usually do it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, you know, it wasn't my goal to be a public figure in any way. I would have been happy to just keep working, you know, crimes that nobody cared about. But um, now you can find me on on True Social and on uh, on Twitter. Like I said, at Kyle Seraphin is the handle for all those. And uh, we would really love it if people want to come and check out our podcast and take a look at that. Our, our downloads are increasing. The guests are, like I said, you're not going to see them in a lot of other places. And you're not going to hear the questions that anybody else is asking. Mark Haupt told me last night that nobody's asked him two of the questions that I asked him before. And he's been doing interviews for the last couple of weeks in a row. So I do try to uh, approach things like a criminal investigator, like a inquisitive mind. Um, I've got a really weird background. As you mentioned, I, I ran restaurants and did stuff. So if people want a, a perspective from somebody who's been a regular guy, like I spent more time at working as a Chili's waiter than uh, some of these talking heads on Fox or on uh, MSNBC have spent as FBI agents. There's a, a girl named Asha that always pops up. And, you know, I, I just, I did regular things. Where are all your pieces guy. of flair? You're not wearing your flair as a Chili's My flair, I, I usually wear one of two pieces of flair. One of them is, a, is an American flag because I believe in that. And the other one is my combat dive pin to remind me that uh, I've been drowned a whole bunch and uh, it sucks, but uh, I've done harder things than what I'm doing right now. And, you know, I've been prepared. My wife calls it the, my preparation for this spiritual war has been more than many people. So I, I am blessed to have had, you know, a lot of experience before I got to this. So yeah, anyway, can, people can find those. I answer a lot of questions in, on uh, Twitter. Even I don't care what size account you have. If you write something crazy to me, I will respond. I don't respond to mental illness. That's the only thing I'll say. And I do hope those people get help. But beyond that, uh, fire away, come at will. And I, I will uh, be following you shortly. And um, people can find me in your in your follows and they'll, they'll see some of the stuff, obviously, that we were talking about here. But I really do appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience because I think it's fun. This was fun and, and, and terrifying. <laughs> And yeah, that's yeah. how it works. Well, uh, all right. Well, 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 everyone out there, uh, if you want to do give to Kyle's give, send, go, we'll, we'll try to put that in the show notes. Yeah. And, and, uh, do probably, I, I strongly recommend giving to Kyle's give, send, go. I very strongly recommend giving to my, <laughs> <laughs> my replacements for Patreon, which are now gone, uh, you know, which, which was taken away from me almost two weeks ago tomorrow. Um, on Valentine's Day, it's an act of romance that that Patreon made for me because of my Catholic position on romance, on dude on dude romance, which I am against because I'm a Catholic. So if you want to go find me on Subscribestar or Locals, I would appreciate it. Also, get out of your blue state, get to a red state, go to realestateforlife.org. I, man, that's just another category of mine that's not going to make me popular with the... Uh, the fed boys i'm quite nervous i mean i yeah, like i said there's a short list of of kind of trad catholic american casters for four or five guys i'm definitely one of them and then i'm also the guy that loves the south i love pre-civil war i mean, oh boy okay i'm gonna i'm gonna go start making a well or whatever um, yeah dig dig a well and then uh you know probably get on get a battery backup so they can cancel you and you could still be able to like make a pot of coffee Stuff right, like that. Right. right. I'll, yeah. I'll dig a well too. I was I was saying make a will, but that's a little more drastic. Oh, a will. Yeah, no, de yeah, definitely. Get a well, that's, get that's a well a too. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be like what state. Here's the yeah. thing. Some states don't care. Like it's common property. It just gets passed. So it's good to go. All right. Well, God bless you. Uh hang out. I'm gonna I'm gonna get some info from you, uh, Kyle afterwards. Thanks a million. Parish orphans of retrogrades. God bless you all. Holy cow, Deus Volt. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen.
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb.